Well, good. In case you didn't know, the pastor is on vacation. And I volunteered to stand up here and talk about Psalm 110 this week. So, um, I think you can see that uh, Psalm 110 uh, talks about uh, the Lord gives dominion to the king. And that it's a psalm of David. One of the things I'll say that I learned as I read about this is nobody really knows at what time in David's life he wrote this psalm. But apparently, somehow, God gave him this psalm. Sometime in his life, whether it was very early on when he was a shepherd boy out with a sheep, or if he was in the middle of a battle, or uh, when he was an old man waiting to die. Uh, sometime along the way, God gave him this psalm. And it's a very interesting psalm. We're going to learn a lot, hopefully, today. Let me start by reading it. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand, he, is, he will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Look at verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Have you read that anywhere in the New Testament maybe? Um, what, what, what is God talking about? Now, a thousand years or so before Christ... David writes this. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Do you know what the habit was of kings at that time when David was a king? They would conquer somebody and to show that they were the victor, they would put this other king down on the ground, and they would step on his throat. That's the idea here. He's making them a footstool. The, the foot of the conquering king is on the throat of the enemy. Look at that verse. Do you see how the first lord... L-O-R-D is all capitalized. When you see that in your Bible, do you know what that means? 
Well, that is talking about Jehovah. That is the existing one. The, the God who is the existing one. The one who is out there, he's existing. He never had a beginning. He's never going to have an end. He's the existing one. And that's what that refers to. So when you see it in all caps, that's what that means. Now, see the second one there? There's a Lord, capital L-O-R-D. That one's a little bit different. That one is referring to a master. Someone who is over a slave or a servant. That's what that's about. Now, we were talking about the fact that you might have read this verse someplace. Uh, Look at all the verses where in the New Testament we find either this specific reference or something fairly close that describes I think the one in Matthew there, 2244, if you look that up, that's actually a quote from this psalm. If you look at the one in Colossians 1, uh, 3, 1, it actually is just talking about the fact that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's, it's not like a direct quote, doesn't have the whole verse, but, but it's a reference to that. So you can see that there are lots and lots of places that... God uses this psalm that David wrote um, in the New Testament. It's the most quoted verse from the Old Testament that's in the New Testament. Verse 2. The Lord will stretch forth His strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. What's a scepter? A rod, maybe some versions use. The, the idea is usually a king has some kind of a staff or something, and, and that's what he holds, and it kind of is a symbol of his power. It's, it represents oftentimes some of the fancier ones. You know, they got lots of, of uh, what, what are jewels and, and gold and silver and all kinds, really fancy looking stuff. And, and that's what he's saying. Uh, he's going to stretch out this scepter from Zion. Wait, where's Zion? Anybody know where Zion is? Um, do you know what it means? Zion actually means a parched place. I, I think of Phoenix. That's a parched place. It's been so very hot down there. And... I'm, I think those people must be in misery. Praise the Lord for air conditioning. But a parched place. No water, a, a parched place. It's actually a, another name for the city of Jerusalem. And it's particularly used in a lot of prophetic books. Instead of talking about Jerusalem, it talks about Zion. It's the same place. Who do you think of in these first two verses as you think of a ruler? Who is he talking about? 
Did you recognize he's talking about Jesus? That's what this is all about. It's talking about a time in the future when Christ is going to reign. He's going to stretch out his scepter from Zion or Jerusalem, and he's going to rule in the midst of his enemies. The world doesn't like Israel. The world hates Israel. Lots of people hate Israel, and they're always um, causing issues uh, in that part of the world. Christ is going to change that. At verse 3, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array, from the womb of the dawn, your youth are as you as the dew. Wait, the, your youth are to you as the dew. All right, what in the world is he talking about? People will voluntarily, freely, volunteer freely in the day of your power. When Christ comes and is ruling, there are going to be lots of volunteers who freely come and serve him. How are they going to do that? In holy array... From the womb of the dawn, the beginning of the day, from the first light, that's what that's talking about. Your youth are to you as the dew. Think about the dew. Do you, do you, uh, does it happen every morning? No. Some mornings? Yeah. Um, can you predict it? Well, the weathermen can. They, you know, if you know that enough about science, you look at the dew point and what the temperature is, and you go, oh, there's going to be dew this morning, right? So, but how much dew? Uh, we don't know. It, it, that's more unpredictable. This is describing these people that are volunteering to serve Jesus. It says they're youth and to you as the dew. They're going to come. There's going to be a whole bunch of it. We don't know how much, uh, um, but there'll be lots of it, and they're going to serve with Jesus. Look at verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Anybody ever heard of Melchizedek before? Okay, at least one person raised their hand. Oh, there's another. Good, a few people then have read your Bible. Because Melchizedek happens to be in the Bible uh, in several different places. But I can tell you that the theologians argue a lot about who he is, was he a person? Was he not a person? Is he an angel? Is he Christ incarnate before he came to earth? Um, uh, 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 and I'm going to tell you, in spite of all the reading that I did this week, none of those guys convinced me that they know any more than I do. God knows who this guy is. But, but I'll tell you, I'm unclear he might be lots of different things. But he's in the Bible a whole lot. If you look at all those different places, particularly in the book of Hebrews, he's there a whole lot. 
and it describes um, this order of Melchizedek as being a priest. And the whole point in the book of Hebrews about this priesthood is that Jesus, because he's in the order of Melchizedek, is a better priest than the Aaronic priesthood. All those priests from Aaron through uh, A.D. 70 when the priesthood ceased for Israel, um, he's better than all that. That's our Lord. That's who Jesus is. He's this priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, the original story about Melchizedek is found back in the book of Genesis in chapter 14. Uh, If you remember, Abraham and Lot had split ways. Lot decided he'd go to the Jordan Valley over there where it's green, and he told uh, Abram to, to go the other way. And Abram went the other way. And at some point in that time, uh, some enemies came along and they attacked the city where Lot was, Sodom, and they carried off all of Sodom and Lot included and all his stuff and took them off to the north. And then, as that happened, Abram heard about it and he went, put together a little army of his own and went up and captured Lot and the bad guys that had taken him off and got all the stuff back, Lot and all the other people and all of their belongings, and hauled them back down to the city of Sodom. And as he comes back, this guy called Melchizedek comes and greets him and meets him. and brings bread and wine to give to Abram and his troops. They've been on a battle. They're coming back. They need nourishment. And so uh, Melchizedek provides that. When you read the rest of the story, I guess you might say, uh, what's clearly presented is that Melchizedek is a guy who is the king of Salem, or the idea is peace. He's also king of righteousness. And he's a priest of the Most High God. Um, Elion is the Hebrew words. Basically, he's a symbol of an ideal priest king. And that's who Jesus is for us. He's the ideal priest king. Like I mentioned, some people think that uh, this could have been an appearance of Christ in bodily form before his virgin birth. That's called a theophany. When uh, There are several places throughout the Old Testament that theologians believe that Christ actually came in bodily form um, and showed up on earth. I think of Hebrews when it talks about the idea that you and I might somehow entertain angels unawares. Uh, I think that's kind of the idea. I have no idea. Uh, 
when or if I might have entertained an angel, but uh, that's kind of what Hebrews talks about. And I wonder all the time, uh, you know, how do I tell? You know, it looks like a human to me. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, the idea here is that that is one of the possibilities. <coughs> excuse me. For this situation, is that it could in fact be Christ as a, a theophany appearing uh, in bodily form. Let's go on. There's three more verses we want to look at. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. Again, we're thinking of this time to come in the future. David is foretelling that time when Christ will come back. And he says that he will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. The idea there of wrath or anger, um, I don't think it's going to be a pretty picture. This is not a time when the love of God is being displayed. He is showing his anger, his wrath, because people have been disobedient. Verse 6, he will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will scatter the chief men over a broad country. When Jesus comes back, he is going to judge the world. He's going to judge all of the nations. And what they've done, right or wrong, based on the scriptures. The result, he will fill them with corpses. There's going to be a lot of dead people. He will scatter the chief men over a broad country. There are going to be lots of world leaders that are scattered, dead, over the world separated when Christ returns. At verse 7 he says, He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore he will lift up his head. This is referring to Christ. He says he will drink from the brook by the wayside. He's, he's going to uh, take an opportunity to just step aside and to get a drink of cool water. Um, from this brook by the wayside. He will lift up his head. He is going to be the one exalted. He is going to be the one that is noticed. He's going to be on the front of the world stage. He will be the ruler. What does all this have to do with us today? Is it going to happen today? I, I don't know. God didn't tell us. He said we should be prepared. We should be anticipating that he'll be coming. And hopefully you're looking forward to that day. 
Could be today, might be tomorrow, might be thousands of years from now. God didn't tell us. He gives us a few warning signs, things to look out for, things to watch. I want us to focus for a little bit on the idea of salvation. You see, salvation is through faith in our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. And all of us need a Savior. God's been very clear throughout the scriptures that we can't do it on our own. We aren't good enough. We always screw up. And as a result of that, we need a Savior. We need somebody to take care of our sin problem. God says we're all sinners. Romans, what, 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he goes on and says the penalty for that sin is death, eternal separation from God. And then he tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that it's not by works. We can't do it ourselves. It's a gift of God. All we have to do is take that gift. And that's what I want to make sure that all of us here know the Savior personally. That you've made a choice to trust Him as your Savior. To take care of your sin problem. Now does that mean we're going to live a perfect life? Uh, I have evidence that that is not true. Um, I can't do it. You can't do it. We continue to trust the Lord. We rely on the Spirit to help us each day grow in our relationship with the Lord that we might better understand how to walk with Him, how to obey the Spirit, and how to do the things that please God. We continue to have a sinful nature that distracts us. We have an enemy in the world around us. The whole system of the world is designed to distract us from serving God. And, and then there's that guy, the devil. He's our enemy too. And he is attempting as best he can to distract each and every one of us from serving the Lord. So salvation is a key element. That's one of the things that I saw as I looked through these seven verses and tried to help us understand today that Christ is coming again. Sometime in the future, He will be here, and our responsibility is to be looking forward to Him uh, coming and uh, establishing the kingdom that's described here in Psalm 110. Let me pray. Lord, we are thankful that You have given this psalm to David. Thank you that it's there and available. We are reminded of it as we read through the New Testament and see it many times talked about. Father, help us to understand more about who this person Melchizedek is. Thank you that you've established him as a priest king. And Father, that Christ will be part of that order of Melchizedek. And that when he comes, he will be that perfect one that will be the key king, the priest, and the prophet for the nation of Israel. 
Father, thank you. Give us a good week this week. We trust ourselves to your care. In Jesus' name, amen.